Well, in the last 10 years, there have been a bunch of studies conducted and books published about the fact that even before coronavirus and lockdown and all that sort of thing, the West has been experiencing pandemic-like proportions when it comes to the issue of loneliness. We've discovered in that time that loneliness is connected to higher rates of dementia. Loneliness is connected to poorer outcomes in cardiovascular disease. Loneliness is obviously connected to issues of depression and anxiety. But uh, loneliness can, while looking obvious for some people, maybe living alone or being dislocated and disconnected from loved ones uh, and friends and family, loneliness can also be very subtle. Uh, I read an article around Christmas in the Sydney Morning Herald talking about a couple who, in the midst of all the family celebrations and everything going on at Christmas, were experiencing deep loneliness as they struggled with infertility. Loneliness, we know from experience, comes from the fact that we as humans are made for relationship. We're made to relate to one another, to be connected to one another, to be together. We know that as people from experience and we know that as Christians from the Scriptures. Uh, The Bible reminds us that at the very centre of the universe, at the heart of everything that there is, is a God who is in relationship, not just relationship with us, the people that he's made and the world that he loves, but God is relationship at the very heart of his being, that he has existed in eternity past, in a community of relationships, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God is relationship at his very Heart, And part of the reason that God made the world is to enjoy that relationship even more fully, to share it, to, to overflow in his love that he, that he has within himself as Father, Son and Spirit, to his world that he made to, to enjoy relationship with him and relationship with one another. We are made for relationships and loneliness exists and relationships go south and we feel the very, uh, the, the very the, the painful reality of relationships being disconnected and dislocated because of human sin. Sin is what interrupts relationships and distorts them and fractures them. And so at the very heart of the life and hope that Jesus brings is a restoration in relationship, restored in our relationship to our Heavenly Father, connected to one another for all eternity. At the heart of the hope that we have in Jesus as Christians is that we belong, is that we have a place, that we have a people, that we have a future where we're loved and we're necessary and we're noticed and we're valued and we're safe. That's part of the hope of the Christian gospel. And so we find ourselves here in 21st century Sydney with loneliness more prevalent as we live closer towards the city. We're seeing and experiencing the reality that technology doesn't cut it as a substitute. We're seeing that busyness doesn't bury it through activity. That prosperity can't replace it with cold objects. 
busyness, prosperity, technology, they do not equal relationship. We are hardwired to be connected to people and to be connected to the God who is relationship. And that's part of why this season of isolation that we've been going through has had such a negative mental health impact on so many people. And that's why social isolation is such a dehumanising punishment uh, in prisons and uh, in wartime. And so uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing from his prison cell in Nazi Germany, awaiting his death, he reflected on this experience of isolation and deep loneliness and confusion and despair. And this is what Bonhoeffer wrote. He writes, Who am I? They often tell me that I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of, or am I only what I know of myself, restless? Longing, sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat. I'm yearning for colour, yearning for flowers, for the voice of birds, for thirsting for words of kindness, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another, a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible weakling? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. But whoever I am, you know me, O God. I am yours. Whoever I am, in the midst of confusion, and loneliness and weariness, struggling to pray, struggling to think, thirsting for kindness and words and connection. Whoever I am in the mess of all of this, you know me, O God, I am yours. That same comfort and assurance is what I think Psalm 139 does for us. No matter the extent to which we're feeling those experiences of loneliness and weariness and struggling to think and pray and feeling disconnected and isolated and confused, or whether we're holding up okay and we look like we have it all together, wherever we find ourselves in that mess of human relationships and connection to God and other people, I want us to know the same assurance and the comfort of Bonhoeffer that the psalmist points us to in Psalm 139. And it doesn't give us simple uh, solutions to these problems, five steps to not being lonely anymore. It doesn't give us simplistic answers and strategies. It simply says, in the midst of this reality, here is a rock to stand upon. Here is a truth that you can lean into. Here is something that you can build your life upon and find an anchor in. As you navigate all those experiences at very 
basic level, at the very profound but basic level, you can stand on this truth that you are known by God. That he is with you. That he is for you. And so that you can join in his plans and purposes. Even through those experiences of of dislocation, of isolation, of fear, of weariness, of hopelessness. Here you can find hope and assurance and comfort. God knows you, God's with you, God is for you, so commit to his ways and know him. That's what I want us to see from Psalm 139. First then, God knows you. Have a look at verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. This is too big to grasp and get my head around fully, but what I do know is that you know me, Lord. And God's knowledge is not just total, it's not just expansive, it's not just big, it's personal. But God knows me, King David writes. He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. He knows my sitting and my standing, my sleeping and my walking. He discerns all my ways, even before I have formed a thought in my mind and and produced it on my tongue and breathed it out from my mouth. God is before all that in his knowledge of who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. God knows me. And this isn't just some general kind of knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that Galatians 4 talks about. It's God's special, directed, loving, relational knowledge of us that brings us in, that wants to connect with us and be with us and belong with us. And so that's what Galatians 4 talks about when it says that through faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into God's family, right? And so we, we too can stand upon God's gracious and perfect knowledge of us. We can be known by Him and have His affection set upon us and His love and care directed towards us, even when we might be feeling dislocated and despairing. We can know that God knows us, He knows our thoughts, our hearts, he knows our circumstances. So God knows and God is with you in all of it. So verses 7 to 12, the the psalmist talks about the fact that where can I escape God's searching knowledge of who I am? I can't get away from, from him. He will always be there, right there with me in all of this, even if I wanted to hide and run and flee from him, I can't. And one of the things this says for us is that if God knows 
and God is present, then there's no point playing games. There's no point playing hide and seek. There's no point pretending and putting up pretense when it comes to who God is and your relationship with Him. He already knows your heart and He knows your thinking and He knows what's going on. And so you can give up all those pretensions. You can give up the games and the hide and seek. You can give up the facade and you can come and with all that's going on in the reality of your heart and your mind and your life and you can in relationship with him through faith in the Lord Jesus present it all to him throwing yourself at his grace depending upon his kindness and his mercy knowing that when your heart and mind can't encapsulate everything that you're thinking and feeling and you can't grasp the significance of all the things that are going on around you and you can't get your head around who you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, you can simply entrust that to God and say, whatever I am, whoever I am, you know me, O God, I am yours. C.S. Lewis captures something of this in the voyage of the dawn treader when uh, Eustace and Edmund are puzzling over the nature of that great uh, godlike figure, Aslan the lion. And Eustace says, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? And Edmund responds, well, he knows me. And while he might not be able to get his head around all that that means and all that that is, there's comfort and assurance, Edmund says, in He knows me, and he's the Saviour. And so that if the Saviour knows me, I can leave some of those details, I can leave some of the, the confusion and some of the frustration and some of the things that are too big for my head and my heart to get around, I can leave that with him and trust that he knows me, and he is the Saviour. And there's great comfort and assurance that you can rest upon God's knowledge of you even when you feel like there is a gap in your knowledge of God. His knowledge is total, it's incomparable and it's personal. It's awesome and it's magnificent and it can feel beyond our grasp but God not only knows and is present but He is at work in the smallest details of you and who you are and what your life is and it's meant to be. That's what we see in verses 13 to 18. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, you you made me fearfully and wonderfully. And if that's the case, the psalmist says, then I need to come back to him with praise and thankfulness. And I need to be on board with his plans and purposes. I need to know that his plans and purposes that will prevail in the end, his knowledge of me, his presence with me, his work for me in even those minute details of life, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
Well, therefore, I need to be on board with his loyal love and his plans and purposes. And I need to pursue a knowledge of him and a relationship with him. And that's why there's a strange twist in verses 19 to 24 where King David starts to attack God's enemies and long for judgment and justice. Why would he do that in the midst of this praise, in the midst of this wonderful picture of knowledge and relationship and God's beauty and God's greatness? Why would he talk about God's enemies and judgment and justice? Why is there that twist? And the reason is, I think, because if you want relationship with God, then you need to be against all those things that get in the way of that relationship. If we're made for relationship with God, and if Jesus came in to restore us to that relationship and reconcile us to God and other people, and if Jesus is the one who says, what is eternal life? It is to know God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus the Christ. If that's eternal life, if that's what we're made for, then God's enemies are those people and those purposes and those things in life and those people in the world and, those, and, and the direction of our desires and all those things that stand in opposition to God and get in the way as a barrier to knowing him, to loving him and to being in relationship with him. So the psalmist finishes by saying, I want all of God's enemies dealt with So that the God who made me and knows me and loves me, the God who's rescued me in Jesus, that I might know him, as the Apostle Paul says, even as he has known me. This is eternal life, Jesus said, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And the Apostle Paul says we long for that day when we will know him fully, even as he has fully known us. And in the midst of the chaos and the loneliness, in the midst of the weariness and the confusion, in the midst of all the blessings and enjoyment of life, God knows and God is with you and God is for you. So there's a rock that you can stand upon. There is a hope that you can build your life upon. There is the comfort and the reassurance. Whoever I am and whatever's going on, this is definitely true. Whoever I am, you know me, O God. I am yours.